Um, we're so not live. We're not live. No, I'm going to be recording it, and then this is going to go out next Friday. It'll go on our YouTube page, and it'll also go on Spotify along, you know, like where our, our uh, podcast goes. Um, by the way, Michael Hercloth is in the lead for podcast downloads for a guest star with uh, 590 for that episode. No shit. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. Um. So yeah, maybe if uh, if some other guys decided to visit the studio and get some nice in studio footage, maybe if you invited one of us, we might go up there. Dude, okay, yeah. you know what? You playing? You paying for my plane ticket? Oh snap! This is big time now. And big hotel. Time. I mean, he's. <laughs> I won't pay for you. I'll play for your plane, but you got to stay with me on my couch. Ooh, that sounds. Oh, you awesome. sleep on the couch. What, what That's sound? creepy. Do I get the couch? It's a really nice couch. Okay, I've heard it's stories a, about that couch. It's a Isn't Bob's the couch. The, the guy cut his finger on. That's the one. The guy, yeah, the guy got screwed his finger into the couch. There you go. And what? bled all over it. Yeah, That's a he, classic story. The, yeah. the guy who was delivering Wait, my so couch. Is there just a massive blood stain in your couch now. No, no, no. He oh. he avoided all the blood. Uh, he just got it on my carpet. But he uh, he was screwing the legs in, and he screwed the leg to his thumb. <gasps> so it was like screwed in like that deep, and we couldn't just pull it out. We had to unscrew it. From his finger. This was on oh, my yeah. move-in day. I had no band-aids or anything, so I had to get paper no towel. Video of this. There's no video. No, it was my move-in day, dude. I was hectic. I was with my brother and like my dad, who was old. Like I didn't even know what to do. I had I had no. My dad. Yeah, I had, I had nothing going on. I could picture it now. The guy's bleeding out, and you're like, "Wait a second, I gotta go blow dry my hair. I'll be right back." <laughs> yeah, don't. I actually, I do. Uh, first, first, Where's let my me. Diffuser? First, let me. Uh, <laughs> Let me introduce everyone because I, I have a funny story I want to tell you about my move-in day. But welcome to uh, the special episode of the Long Ash Podcast. Nick Labretti here from JR Cigar. Um, it's my special, well, I'm going to start doing this every year, my special birthday roundtable where I get some of my favorite uh, manufacturers, some of my favorite people in the cigar industry together. We hang out, have a good time, smoke some of my favorite cigars, and ask some really insightful but also interesting and fun questions. So going in order that you guys are in my view here, the legendary founder of Ferio Tego, Mr. Michael Herklotz. Thank you very much for joining us, Michael. Um, that's uh, John. Uh, and then over there, <laughs> everyone knows uh, John Huber of Crown Heads, um, Mr. Nick Melillo of Foundation Cigars, and then one half of the dynamic duo of Alec and Bradley, and an important part of Alec Bradley as a whole, Mr. Alec Rubin. Gentlemen, thank you. Didn't you didn't even invite his brother? I actually invited his brother first, and then he's like, hey, my brother doesn't want to do it. I'm going to do it. <laughs> oh, come on. I wow. wanted to have a mustache off between John and, and Bradley. Oh, I think John is, John is about to beat him. No, it's no I'm close. not even in the same. I'm not even in the same league. I not don't even. think that's true. <laughs> I don't know. So, guys, hey, I, on, my, uh, on my move-in day, I was wearing um, a foundation T-shirt. I was wearing uh, my uh, El Wawense T-shirt. And my dad is just like an old New Jersey Italian guy. He's like, eat. I got him like a sandwich, like a chicken parm sandwich for helping me out. And he's eating it. And he looks at my T-shirt and he's like, what's uh, what's El Jujanese? <laughs> <laughs> so now that's what we call each other. We're being like an idiot. Like, you're such a Jujanese. It could it could be an I Italian like pasta sauce. You <laughs> yeah, know? it could be a little Jujanese. Make it nice. nice By the way, only in New Jersey can you still pay people in food and get them to work. <laughs> you, you pay your family in food. That's it. But uh, I paid you in food when you came and did our show. I think I bought you lunch that day. <laughs> chicken parm sandwich i mean it was a chicken parm sandwich yeah see if the other guys from nashville and florida you come up here get your nice chicken parm maybe a little veal parm you already had miguel on there so we're spoken for so i'm that is true but miguel is miguel is so uh he's so not political like he's so like watches what he says 
but sometimes I just want you to come out. <laughs> hey, did you have to feed him? I did. Uh, that could be we? a big that could be a big spend right there. I think Justin had lunch with him because I, I I had a training that I had a management training during the day. I think Justin hung out with him during was lunchtime. It, was it a buffet situation? Like all I don't know. Eat? Oh man, I, right. I I I I think Justin and him had a, had like a nice little lunch together. I know Miguel's watching. That's why I'm busting the balls. <laughs> I had uh, I had my fierce management training. It was very fierce. Mm. Um. So I got some fun questions together, both from fans and that uh that I put down. Again, um, I don't want to ask the same old like, what are you guys coming out with? Like, we'll we'll get to you or your brands later on I, and kind I, of. Uh... I have a question. Yes, sir. When is your birthday? You said this is this the, birthday. The episode. 19th. So this is coming out the 16th. Okay. So my birthday is that Monday. The 19th. All right. Yep. Yep. Got it. 33, okay. baby. And I look every day oh. of 40. No. No. I have no. noticed every uh, the amount of grays that have come in the past year have been extraordinary. That's why it takes so much work now to do this, is because you can easily see the grace. Listen here, don't start <laughs> talking this crap. You know, you're 30. You better enjoy this, Nick. I child. still haven't. I couldn't. 40, when you hit 42, then Nick, you start. I to couldn't. Really I it. if somebody bet me a million dollars, I could not even guess how old you are because I feel like you've been 32 for 15 years. <laughs> 75. You look the same as like from the first picture of you working for Drew Estate. You look the exact same. <laughs> Oh, yeah. 50 pounds heavier. <laughs> <laughs> That's the good life. Yeah. I don't know if losing weight is going to make me look older or younger. It's Gaining weight just means success. It evokes yeah. a successful kind of a thing. That's is all. it success or stress? Well, yes. it could be a bit of both. If it's you success, then you have it to eat more. So. Can you have one without the other? Guys, if gaining weight is means success, I'm the most successful guy in this show right now. Okay? Which I think we all know is not true. <laughs> Um, God. so I, uh, wait, dude. I have, uh, my first question is because again, I want to get into personal histories here and personal experiences. I'm going to start on the right side of my screen, which is, uh, Alec, what was your first, uh, trade show like? And this is interesting for you because you kind of grew up in the industry. So you might've have, you might've even gone to one of these shows before you were officially a well, member or, you know, yeah, yeah. Dad. technically my first trade show I got kicked out of because I was uh, 13. So <laughs> I snuck in onto the floor. Apparently 13 year olds aren't allowed into uh, into our trade show, which. And I that just, was five years ago in Vegas, by the way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was in Vegas, just not five years ago. And then um, my first trade show, uh, it was a lot tougher that I, that I actually attended and worked. I was 18. Um, much more work than I expected. I think my third day I woke up and, uh, my legs gave out from under me from just being on my feet for, you know, 16, 18 hours a day and just like collapsed and hit the floor, which now looking back is very funny, but, um, <laughs> yeah, it was, I mean, great time. Got to meet a lot of cool people and, uh, yeah, I, I loved every second of it. Do you remember where that, where that was that a, a Vegas trade show or was that one of the Florida that was, ones? That was a Vegas trade show. What year, Alex? Oh, geez, what year? I'm not good at math. What would let's see? I'm 30 now. That was 18. So 12 years ago. 12 so years ago. 2010. Yeah, 2010. 2010. Yeah. That was the year I started in the cigar industry. It was my year I started working in our whipping store. Yeah. So 2010 was my was my first. That trade. was a big. That was a big year for the future of this industry, guys. 2010 was a very very yeah. important year. Well, I know I was there. What else are you referring to? <laughs> okay you know what i miss your brother <laughs> <laughs> I, nick what I about you 
what was what was Nick? What was your first trade show like? My first trade show, uh, PCA IPCPR, hmm. was uh, two thousand five. Oh wow! It was the very first trade show. I never went when I was working the cigar store in the nineties because the owners went, and I had been in Nicaragua for two years and flew up for uh, I think it was the New Orleans trade show that year, and it was it was insanity, man. New Orleans, 2005. That was the one right before Katrina. It was yeah. two weeks before Katrina. Oh, yep. Um, yep. you know, yep. I was with Drew Estate at the time. It was fascinating just to see, you know, the sales side of things, you know, all the customers coming from all over the country. Of course, the Drew Estate booth. Um, I had put the booth together in Nicaragua. So I rented out a warehouse in Esteli to make sure that the booth worked properly. So we set it up in, in Nicaragua because most of it was built in Nicaragua. And then to see it all put together in New Orleans was, was pretty incredible. And then we were, I think that's the year we launched Java with Rocky. Oh, wow. And there was some cease and desist going on because it was called Mocha at first. And I think JR owned that at the time. Yeah, that, that sounds like was, something we would have done back in the day. Yeah, and then it was changed, but we ended up doing a party with Rocky at the House of Blues. I was at that party. It was one of the best parties I've ever been to. And they lost track of letting cigar people in and they the line outside of the house of blues was like around the block and anybody everybody on the street started seeing you know oh what's going on in the house of blues and they started letting everybody into the place and you could not move wow and they were also charging by the head so Dude, a, was, a, a pre uh, a pre Katrina New Orleans must have been absolutely insanity. It was insane, man. It was never the same, really. I mean, it was one big party in the street. Everybody just, you know, having it was a disgusting, but it was great. Yeah, disgusting. Because I was, I had the trade show there, and what was it, 2015? They did it again in New Orleans, and it was crazy then. But it was also this is you know still 10 years after Katrina, but you could tell it was like a little bit of a different different vibe in the city than like what had been there um realize something was was 2010 vegas or orlando i think it was vegas vegas Vegas. 2011 was orlando well i think 12 was orlando 11 or 12 i was already at nat sherman by orlando 12 was orlando because that was our first trade shows crown heads and it was in orlando yeah you're right 11 was vegas my first one nat sherman yeah. Gotcha. Okay. Sorry. So, John, what? Not just your first crown head. What was your? Because you're back in your CEO you days. Skipped what was your first? You skipped over Michael. You skipped over Michael. No, I'm going in order of my viewer. So you're. Oh, okay, okay, yeah. okay. I didn't know. Uh, yeah, this this is first... so the order of my viewer is Alec, Nick, John, Michael, and then reverse. Okay. So. All right. So I got you all beat. My first trade show was called RTDA in 1996 in Cincinnati. That's a cool city. <laughs> It was, you know what, man, it was like, I just started with CAO in April. And so what, three months later, I was in, in, in the trade show. And I was like a kid in the, like, I was like in awe. I was like, oh my God, there's Carlito Fuente. There's, you know, old man Padron. There's the cigar aficionado booth. There's, that was the year that uh, Shankin brought in JFK's humidor and had it under glass. And he had like armed security around it. And um, it was just a whole different level. I was like, 
you know, talk about getting thrown into the deep end right away. And um, yeah, we had to set up the booth ourselves and uh, me and a couple of guys rented a couple of U-Hauls and, and drove it off from CAO here in Nashville up to Cincinnati, set it all up and everything. But I, I couldn't have been happier. I was just like, wow, this is, this is pretty cool. That's awesome. Yeah. And uh, Mr. Herklotz, what about you? My first show was 2003 RTDA in uh, Nashville. Nashville. That must have been a cool one. You know, I don't remember much of it. Uh, I just remember, you know, when you're a kid and you, you picture stuff from your youth and everything looks big, mm-hmm. you know, and then you go back and it seems smaller and you can't tell like, how things have morphed was it your memory that seemed or whatever like when i think of the show that first show i just remember it seeming like it went on forever and and the people and the boot like every it just seemed so massive i couldn't get i couldn't wrap my head around what the show was and i mean i have to believe the show is as big now as it was then uh, with bigger booths and bigger things that we had back then. But for whatever reason, my memory of it is just like, you know, like it was a, like it was Disney World. You were with uh, Davidoff at the time? Yeah, I was in re- on the retail side. On the retail side. So two, this is Two things gonna... stand out about that year to me. Mm-hmm. One was having to walk through Gaylord Opryland or whatever it was endlessly, like miles and miles. And the other was P. Johnson had these cabinets of unbanded cigars and he gave me one and I was like, God damn, this thing is fucking good. What is this? And he's like, it's my cigar. It's called Tatuaje. And I, I pride myself on being one of the first ones to smoke a pre-release of that thing. And I was like, dude, if you could do this. It was the Lancero, on- right? It was a Cazadori, I think. Nice. Um, yeah. And he, I said, if you can do this on a consistent basis, this will change the game. I remember so that. Did- did you guys like know him before, like when he was kind of doing the, he was, cause he was working at the, yeah, yeah, yeah. The humidor, sure. uh, what the heck? heck Grand is Havana it? room. Grand Havana room. Yeah. I knew Did Pete. S- I met Pete at that Cincinnati show in 96 and we became fast friends. And, uh, you know, we had this little thing where every year we would always see each other on the floor, like, what's good out there to smoke? Oh, go to this booth, ask for Andrea Molinari or go to this booth and da 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 da. So, yeah, I'd known Pete for half a dozen years by then already. Well, I imagine at a trade show in the late 2000s, you and Pete, stood out in terms of you know tattoos well, that's, that's kind know. of what made the connection initially yeah. is because back then nobody had tattoos right yeah. and um it was like oh, and then we found out that we both were from la and this that and the other so we we became good friends so yeah so that brings me to my next question i'm going to go reverse order now so starting with michael um what is your favorite or, or the memory from a trade show that kind of stands out to you? And I use a trade show just because it's something we've all experienced. It's like the kind of pinnacle moment every year in the industry. Everyone kind of comes together. So if you had to pick a, not necessarily best, it could be a weird moment, but the one that stands out to you the most, Michael, from any trade show that you've been to. Um, I mean, there's been a lot of great moments. I, I will say that the, the most standout meaningful one was this year, um, setting up product in a display that had my company name on it with the company logo up top, you know, having, having done that same action for years, um, you know, registering, getting the badge, I mean, you know, whatever, 15, 20 years I've been doing it, but to, to be able to do it with Ferry Otago was without a doubt the proudest moment in a show ever. That's touching. And I, I can imagine, and, and you have such a storied history 
in the industry, every kind of different aspect of retail and logistics, manufacturing, and then to finally kind of have your own creation. You know, we've, we've talked about it, Mike. It's just uh, such an inspiring story. So, you know, we're all we're all very happy for you. Um, John, what about you? Besides meeting me at that trade show a couple of years ago, what's your what's your well, most that, what's your you best moment? My number one out, um, <laughs> you know. There's, uh, you know, to Michael's point, there's so many of them. I mean, we, at the CAO days, we had, we threw so many parties and I got to meet so many different people and, you know, everybody from like James Gandolfini to Tommy Lee to Leonard Skinner, all that kind of stuff. But for me, I think the iconic moment was one of the first breakfast RTDAs that I ever attended. There was an actor by the name of George Hamilton that was a guest speaker. I remember George Hamilton. And, yeah. Real tan guy. He yeah. He was in Godfather three. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he played Evil Knievel like in the 70s or something like that. But anyway, this guy was like the epitome of just like cool. And he gave this present. And at the time he had his own cigar. I think it was like called Hamilton Reserve and he had a lounge in Beverly Hills. But he gave this presentation that just made me walk away and go, God, I've got the coolest job in the world. I'm in the cigar industry. This is awesome. And that just never went away from me. And that was, you know, what, 20 some odd years ago, probably. But that that kind of stands out to me. It really made me feel good about what I chose for a career. That's an awesome story. It is funny though, thinking like uh, the man who made me fall in love with the industry was George Hamilton. <laughs> oh, I was already in love with it. Yeah, but just but he just verified. That's it yeah, that, that verified. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Nick, how about you? I, it was similar to Michael. I mean, 2015 launching Foundation. Dion from Illusion hooked me up with part of his booth, and I remember walking in on like the second day of setup and I ran into Pete and he goes, oh, I see Dion's paying it forward. And I said, well, what are you talking about? And he said, when I, when Dion started, I gave him part of my booth and Dion never wow. told, I never realized that. And to hear that at the beginning of the show, and then just to <clears throat> see retailers, you know, come from all over the country and, you know, support, support foundation is definitely the highlight for me. That's awesome. So Alec, yours is probably a little interesting because you're like you've you've had your name uh, on a booth for for already so many years by the time you got there. Yeah. So what was kind of an interesting or standout moment was it like the the year you and Bradley kind of released your, your you know your first brand or yeah, was it your Actually, brand? I got I got two answers for this. Um 2017 I think is the year that Bradley came to his first trade show. Uh, he had just graduated college. He was working for the company for two weeks and then had to step into that. So like almost no tobacco experience or knowledge or cigar knowledge or whatever it is at that point. And we made him do his first interview that trade show and just watching him fumble over his words and be so nervous was such an enjoyable experience for me just because I remember how nervous I was having to do that the first time. But I didn't only have two like two weeks of practice kind of going into it. So that was just like one of the most memorable experiences for me. And then also um, kind of a weird answer, but missing this last trade show because my son was born was uh, also very, you know, kind of makes it my favorite trade show. <laughs> That's beautiful. That's beautiful. Do you remember who interviewed your brother? Um, yeah, it was, I forget their names, but they are from uh, Germany. Okay. Oh, what are their names? Because I'm pretty sure in 2017, I interviewed your dad. And then he's like, oh, do you want to interview my son separately and do like, or get them into the video? And that's the first time I met you guys. But we, did that. we did that 
Out. No, that was it. That was in 2019 at oh. the penthouse. This was on the floor, on the show floor. Yeah, 2017. I, yeah, we were standing. We were at a, like a foldout table or something. Yeah, like it was just like yeah, just like at, at the Alec Bradley space. He's like, oh, you know, my sons are like doing stuff now. You want to talk to them? And I'm like, I guess. And then he brought over these two. <laughs> well, that dude, that's like the whole beginning of my career was I guess. Yeah, I guess I'll yeah. talk to them. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, I mean, now, 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 your dad won't even return my calls. I mean, you talk all the time, so. He doesn't return my calls either, so we're in the same boat. <laughs> no, I have to say, I, I actually have uh, a special memory with with each one of you. I remember talking to uh, Michael the year um, the Timeless came out with Nat Sherman. That was kind of the first interaction I really had, and I had seen you like on social media, and then I met you, and I'm like, oh wow, he's like really cool, and you you just gave really great answers. Um, and that was the time like Nat Sherman was kind of pivoting to this more modern boutique style and kind of catching up with the times. And it was really cool to have you as the face of that. I mean, John, I didn't, the first time I interviewed crown heads, I was too intimidated to even talk to you. I had to interview Mike Condor. I'm sorry. Cause you were sitting there, you had your white, uh, G shock on and you were just the, you oh, were just God, the, such yeah. the cool guy. And, I, and you also have a look of like, he doesn't want me to bother him. And then Mike, truth be told, I probably didn't want you to bother me. No, you didn't. You didn't. That's at all. all right. We became good friends afterwards. It's all good. <laughs> uh, Nick, I remember you at the 19 show. Um, and to see, I, I, I visited your first booth your first year, but the 19 show to see when you had the the big space and you were blasting the music and then getting this. That's when um, High Court Castle Victorian came out. And to see you have kind of have that transition to like, oh, no, I'm like a, a full member now. I have my own big booth and all this great all these great accolades. That was really awesome to see. And then in terms of just pure good times, I mean, Alec, that penthouse party, <laughs> like Greg has not worked in this industry for a year. And he'll text me every once in a while. I was like, dude, do you remember that party? <laughs> remember that time we went to like this penthouse and did a, and had a party? It was really uh, it was really awesome. Um, so thank you guys, because, you know, I wouldn't be here without. You guys, you know, give me the time to speak and especially early on in my career, sputtering around questions, being intimidated, sweating. Uh, so I thank all of you because you all contributed to uh, to where I am today. If you, suck, if you suck, we wouldn't talk to you and we wouldn't all be here. So Listen, dude, I, I wasn't great, but I was a hustler. My first trade show, they sent me there by myself with a GoPro and an iPad. And I had to go interview Matt Booth about the Johnny Tobacco knot, and he would not give me a clear answer on anything. <laughs> he was Nothing's just like, changed. "Oh, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. He was just like, Nothing's changed. you know, we put the tobacco in the rear of a donkey, and then we let it loose at a minor league baseball game." And I'm like, "Dude, I'm 25. I don't know what I'm doing. Can you please just tell me where tell it's me from?" Bone. Yeah, and he's like and he laying just, it all down. He's like, yeah. "Let it loose yeah. in a major league." Yeah. Specify yeah. what team. Yeah, what, what team was it? The, or a female donkey. Yeah, uh, he's uh, uh, yeah. he's he's another one that was uh, instrumental in my early years. So talking about Where being instrumental, I I, I just thought of today. I'm like I should have sent him an email. I'm going to do a separate interview because uh, uh, with him um, over the next few weeks because also he had you know the big change now We're doing a lot with general. So I, I want also yeah. want to be able to give yeah. him his own. I haven't talked to him in a while. Give him his own uh, his own platform to kind of tell the world about how that's been going. Um, if, but if he was invited, we'd still be waiting for him. That's true. true. He's he's definitely on Oregon time or wherever he's living now in that in that bunker out there. Washington State. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But speaking of being like influential, uh, I want to ask you again. Now we're starting with Alec. Um, I'm going to take your dad out of this just because that's the obvious answer. But if you had to have one kind of cigar mentor or someone who really influenced your style, whatever like that, you know, who 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 could that be? Just ask the impossible question. (laughs) Really? 
It doesn't even have to be. It doesn't even have to be I mean, somebody you met. It could be somebody that you just knew no, of that, like honestly, I, I be coming up within the industry and getting to kind of admire everyone a little bit. I've taken pieces away from pretty much everyone I've met, whether it just be you know from interacting with consumers or down at the factories or just I talked to Dion about tobacco or Nick about the, like whatever it may be. I've kind of had a lot of very influential people in this industry in my life. And I just kind of, kind of considered myself lucky, lucky that everyone was so willing to talk to me and give me advice and take me under their wing. Uh, I got to work with Ernesto, obviously, which was a super cool experience. Uh, one I get to hope, I hope I get to do again, but to pick one person that's my mentor in this industry would just basically be impossible. No, I, I, I could see that. I could see that. Nick, how about you? Or, or closest to it or somebody who maybe taught you the most, influenced you the most? There, my friend Adam's got his hands open like this. Like, uh, taught him everything he knows. Um, listen, from the the cigar industry side, I would say Gustavo Cuda from Oliva Tampa um, Tobacco has been one of my. He's he's been my main mentor. Just as far as, you know, he's one of these guys behind the scenes. Not many people know who he is, and he's through and through a tobacco man. 110 percent and he lives it he breathes it and he was one of the, the the ones early on moving to Esteli in in 2003 that treated me you know with with respect and not like oh who is this guy you know he doesn't know shit you know just he was always respectful and always teaching me um and and always I I just soaked up so much knowledge and to this day he just has an amazing perspective of just always learning and always growing and not doing everything the same all the time and his perspective on life and tobacco is, is something that i admire and i love that man i love that man through and through it's good people and that's and how i that's how i met john huber actually was through uh, Gustavo, when, when John was just getting going, I'll never forget, uh, Gustavo coming to the factory with John and I had always seen John, you know, uh, and the CAO side of things. And, you know, I knew if he was with Gustavo, you know, he'd be good people. And that, that's one of the things about Gustavo that I find really refreshing is no bullshit, man. Mm -hmm. There's no bullshit real as real can be and that's john huber that's mike michael herklotz you know alec that's why i enjoy talking to you guys and it, it's refreshing so um definitely gustavo cura that's all and it's cool to see you kind of i don't want to say paying it forward but you know when we uh hung out with you in connecticut i remember on the drive back secret chris was just like man just nick's thoughts on tobacco and life and how he expresses them is so awesome i can listen so it's kind of like you're you're now being that guy for people of the next generation so just just so you know nick you're 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 that what you're that what wednesday for a lot of us it's cool to hear that um and I, it's definitely not possible without <laughs> like Gustavo yeah. and you know like Alec was saying all these amazing people that I, I've been fortunate to to learn from and know in this industry and you know I'm a guy from Connecticut that moved down to Nicaragua not knowing anything about the tobacco side so to, to be able to learn from these people has it's changed my life you know no I, I can I can imagine that 
Uh, Mr. Huber, besides me, who do you think has been the most influential uh, and mentored mentoring in your uh, in your career? You know, I've I've been fortunate to have a couple decades in this business. So, I mean, the list is long from, you know, Ernesto to the Garcia's to, you know, on and on. Um, But I'll take it all the way back to the beginning. And I would say, you know, first and foremost, John Oskina, rest in peace. I mean, he's the man that you know, not more so than cigars and tobacco. He really was like a life coach and really taught me how to uh, approach life from a, a bigger perspective. And then also, I would say George Brightman, um, a gentleman. I don't know if a lot of people know who he is, but when I got into it, he was the guy at Cigar Aficionado magazine. And George, to this day, I still send cigars to him for him to to check them out, the blends and validate them, what have you. But he taught me about what cigars should be as opposed to what, you know, what I, I thought they would be or whatever. And he, he taught me so much. Um, and I would say those two guys, Chano and, and George Brightman, to start it all off. And then, uh, of course, I had the luxury of working with a lot of people throughout the, the years, including Gustavo Cura, uh, who we're now working with at Noxa. So full circle. But um, yeah. And working with well, by the way, I did finally smoke that Azul and... Thank you. Thank the you. Old a order, as I'm going to call uh, it. Listen, all, all <laughs> kudos, not to go off on a tangent, but that's all Raul Disla and uh, Gustavo's tobacco selection. So those guys get all the accolades on that one for sure. Respect, respect. Mr. Herklotz, how about you? Um, you know, I, I'm going to just repeat what everyone does. I mean, the, when, you're, when you're around as long as we are in an industry that is so great, you are just constantly exposed to influential people and you take a little bit from everyone. Um, and thank God the industry is willing to teach, you know? Um, and I also feel grateful that we came up at a time that it was still okay to admit that there was much to learn. I think a lot of that has changed in the last few years, but um, you know, Brightman, uh, I have a lot of gratitude for David Kitchens, a lot of gratitude for, um, but if I, if I really have to pick the one that I have learned the most from, it is uh, Manuel Quesada. Uh, he was, he was great and his whole family, frankly, and the people in the factory, but, but Manolo from the time we met um, was always gracious and generous and, you know, I would go down on vacation and he would, you know, let me hang out at the factory for a week at a time and just, you know, I don't even know what I was doing there. I had this conversation with him like two weeks ago and I was there. I was like, what, what did you think? I mean, just some 23 year old gringo used to show up on vacation and waste a week of your time. Like, you know, I'm really sorry about all that. Uh, <laughs> But it was it was just amazing that they let me do it. You know, I, I was just at a retail store this week and a kid asked me, like, how do you get into blending? And I was like, that's just not even something that I can answer. You know, like first you have to major in drum set performance and then you have to move to New York City and then you have to waste time in a factory like there's For me, there was no like moment where the learning started. Right. Where the process started. It's just, you know, when 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 you're lucky enough to have that kind of influence and generosity around you, then you do that for 20 years and this is what you get, I guess, you know? No, I completely agree. And also, you know, your relationship with Quesada 
the past year and a half, I want to say, has been a little re- revitalization for the Quesada line with the work you've done with them. Uh, the Casa Magna uh, Liga F that came out, that's gotten a lot of great reviews, including by us. And it's kind of one of those things like you, a lot of people, I think, forgot like this guy was and is like the man in terms of his blending prowess, in terms of his impact on the industry, especially out of the DR, like Quesada and that family is up there with the Garcias, with the Placencias, you know, like just absolute legends. Which brings me to my next question, again, starting with you, Mike. What is, give me one or two cigars from not necessarily the boom days, but from your early days that are no, uh, no longer around that if you could, like they, you have fond memories of like, oh man, that was a great smoke for 2001. I wish someone would bring it back or something like something like that. Um, there are cigars that stand out to me that that continue to be inspiring in my, in my nostalgia palette. One of which, well, shared pedigree actually there's two uh the original cao maduro lanversaire uh and bahia gold both oh. of which both of which were made i swear in, to god bahia gold is that what you're gonna <laughs> no, say no i was gonna say bahia gold robusto 1998 fuck yeah yeah <laughs> I, no, you can curse we're, we're selling tobacco you can curse oh, you're, you're totally fine bahia anyway. gold for me yeah but it's not even like, it's not even just the blend, the band, the ads with Tony and black and white, but the cigar was, the band was in color. Yeah, yeah. Like everything about that, I was telling someone this week, to understand what Tony and Don Douglas and Tobacalera Tambor was at that time, I said, it, it's bigger than, than, than my father has ever been in the in the in the in the mental perspective just as people started becoming like cigar celebrities there really weren't any before somebody you know with the exception of fuentes and padrones from a familial sense but but that cigar and everything around it to me was and plus i was i was brand new so it was easy i was still falling in love as a as a consumer uh, long answer, sorry, but uh, Bahia Gold Robusto um, and the CAO Maduro Churchill for me are two cigars that have forever changed my life. So as I move on to John, because um, I know at least one of your answers is going to be similar. Where was the Bahia made out of? Tobacco Lower Tambor in Costa Rica. Is it Costa, Costa Rica? Okay. Yeah. So I, I swear to God, hand to God, that that was going to be my exact answer that Michael just gave. Um, I'll, I'll extrapolate a little bit on it. I mean, we only had nine months of production of that particular blend of that version of that cigar from Don Douglas um, before we got booted out of the factory. But yeah, that to me was, uh, Wait, was a game changer. There was only nine months of production months. in Costa Rica? Yeah, and then we switched it over to... Uh, exactly wanted, to go with, wanted to go with Perdomo. And, right. and at the time when we were looking for somebody to, to, to move the blend to, um, my vote was for Hochi. Um, and even Pete Johnson validated. He's like, Hochi nailed this. It's like exact. But Tim wanted to go with the Perdomo route because Nick was pretty hot at the time. And um, yeah, so that was that. Was the, that. Cameroon, but, the Cameroon was unbelievable. Yeah, no, he did a great job with that. But on the Bahia Gold Robusto, it was 1998 RTDA. It was also in Nashville. I was in a suite of the hotel with Tony and a bunch of people from CA. And we were smoking cigars. And Tony had a cigar that was unbanded. Both of them were unbanded. He gives me one. 
I smoked and I was like, God, this is fucking amazing. He's like, okay, now smoke this one. And I took a puff of this one. I'm like, this is even better. So the, the first one that he gave me that I thought was amazing was a Cuban Cohiba Robusto. And the second one that I thought was even better was Bahia Gold Robusto in 1998. And I'll never forget, that's one of those cigars that really stand out in my lexicon and my memory is like, wow, that cigar was phenomenal. It really was. And, you know, again, to Michael's point, you, you couldn't get close to Tony's booth. I mean, it was like... I don't even know what's oh, security. Remember he walked, yeah. He I mean, it was like with bodyguards, people were in the aisles, like five deep waiting to get even close to this man. I mean, he, it was a whole different level. It really what, what ended up happening with the, with didn't the he, brand. Did he have a throne? Didn't he have a throne or something? I, I, I don't know. I oh. don't know, man. I was just, I was just, you know, fortunate to know the guy. And it just, I used to buy his cigars when I was still a consumer in, in LA at the cigar warehouse in Sherman Oaks. On Ventura Boulevard, and what, he, had, what he had the happened? Trinidad, he had the Bahia Gold, he had the Bahia Gold Maduro. What happened? That's a that's a million. Maduro dollars. was an incredible, also. Yeah, yeah. You know what though? I thought the CAO Maduro was always better than the oh yeah than the Bahia Maduro, but yeah, I yeah. thought that the Bahia Gold yeah, that was incredible. That cigar. Yeah, I agree, hundred yeah. percent. Nick, what about you? Are you are you feeling the Bahia love over here? Well, I wanted I wanted to hear the response from somebody as to what happened. Oh yeah, what, whatever happened to Tony and Bahia? I don't know. I don't know. If he, he just vanished. I'll, I'll give you an example of what I might think happened. Um, so I'm working the Calabash shop in Connecticut at the time, and I fall in love with Bahias. I mean, I smoked these things. I I, I thought they were all solid. The gold was just exceptional. So. I was ordering consistently. I was in charge of the humidor. So I ended up ordering, he had like a double Corona, I think I want to say, and we used to sell these. It, it seemed yeah, like he had a Bahia gold A. Okay. Yeah. An A, but I want to say there was a double Corona. It wasn't a Churchill. It was like a, it had a, like a 54 uh, ring gauge. So I used to sell a ton of these things and I must've gotten like eight boxes. So I opened up the first box and they were on cellophane. I loved the uncellophane. Yes. I love them. But they were all split right at the foot, right mm. down the side. And it was, you know, the majority of the box. Next box, same thing. I opened up one more, same thing. You know, usually I don't mind split cigars. If there's a couple, I smoke them. Exactly. No problem. So I call up the office. I explained, just got the shipment and explain what the situation is. And then basically I get passed to Tony and get <laughs> to go, go to hell basically. And that was the last time I ordered Bahia cigars. Uh, so that, that was just a, a story. We won't get into more details. So anyway, <laughs> um, my favorite, I would say, uh, I talk about the cigar a lot. It's a specific year. 96 Pudos Indios number two torpedo. Just 96. In that year, I I will never forget smoking that cigar for the first time. To this day, in my head, that cigar is one of the best cigars I've ever smoked. I mean, just the depth and complexity, the cocoa, the, the nuttiness. It was an unbelievable cigar that I will, I will never forget. I, I understand they re-released. Um, Cubaleros. Cubaleros, yeah. yeah. And yeah. Um, somebody did Pudos Indios too, I, I think. Or, I don't or, know if they did. That, that, was, that was Rolando Reyes back in the day, right? 
Rolando Reyes. Yeah, I man. vaguely remember seeing yeah. them in somebody's catalog a couple years ago. Maybe Thompson or somebody. I don't know if it's like the same thing or they just took the name of it. They I were don't know. two companies. Uh, somebody, I oh, think we were just bought them. That's right. Okay. I haven't tried them yet. I'm curious to try them, but that cigar, I think I have one in my humidor from 96 um, still. So that cigar, and I have to say at that time, also, I want to say 95, one of my dailies, Hoya de Monterey Rothschild, 50 count cab box. Unsello. No, and they were, no they were a buck 75. They were like a buck 75. I wasn't yeah. around for Those this stuff. So. <laughs> Neither was I, Alex. You know what? Like, yeah. It, be, yeah, that was a good this, smoke. This whole, this whole yeah. question about, about the, the nostalgia stuff. Yeah. Like now we're talking like the 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 cigars that bring me back to moments in time, you know, that just you, you get that like little flutter of nostalgia. Purus Indios for sure. Uh Punch Rothschild. The first time I had a Henry Clay, you uh, know, was like, uh, what is this? But even like when when I look at a punch grand crew number two or an Excalibur, you know, moments in time, those cigars were it. Like, oh, you, you had Frank Ionesa behind the whole doing all the broadly for all the Frank Ionesa, his yeah. name brand stuff. I remember was very, very good Did when I started in the, Mundo in the tissue wrap. The yes. Rectangulares. Yes. Mm-hmm. Bro. I mean, yeah. I mean, there was some interesting. Yeah. I mean, that he was legendary because that was all broadleaf. So being in Connecticut and Excalibur number three, I mean, that was. That was, I mean, I could smoke that cigar all day. It's, it's really, know. it's really interesting. And I think Alec will kind of see my, my perspective on it is, you know, the, like these brands that you guys are mentioned, obviously they're still Titans and they're still selling a lot Hoyo and punch. But when I started in 2010, you know, you guys were already becoming like the hot thing, Drew Estate, yeah. Crown Head, CAO. So these brands were kind of on the not on the downslide but they weren't the hot like oh you got to try this you got to smoke this you know they yeah, they were already then, kind of seen as like the, the old era hats. that we're talking about these brands were still owned by by private companies right principles right. Were, oh, yeah were yeah they were putting, it, they were already owned by general face, by time there was still yeah. a face to the brand mm-hmm. even though it was Coleman for example who was a beast right but yeah. there was still a face to to some of those brands right Alec, oh. what about you? Because I'm I'm interested yeah, to see because it's going to be so different. At this yeah, point. Okay, well, we're going to have a. I think we're going to have a similar or similar era Maybe. here. Yeah. So in 2010, like nostalgia stuff for me is probably like um, 1932 Padillas. Wow. Where, uh, my, when my father or when Papine made them, and yeah. the early Lafleur factory presses. I mean, those are just like major nostalgia cigars for me. I I loved both of those and factory press ones twos threes i got them all was obsessed obsessed those padillas were good the early left i mean i still like uh la floor but those fantastic those those early i mean i i remember when the chisel like first came out and being like this thing is unreal uh for me and this it's weird because it was during me and alex time but it's actually more a cigar reflective of of you other uh gentlemen the partigas black and like the thick Torpedo. I can't. Remember. I, want, I want to say it had to be like a fifty-eight or a sixty. Um, but like a recto. Yeah, yeah. yeah. 
those and then they also what um, what general used to do i don't know if they do it anymore we don't at least we don't sell them anymore is because they were expensive at least for me as a 20 year old kid but then they used to release some of them no cello wrapped in a ribbon and then sold in like these casks for dirt cheap but three or four of them would probably be cracked but so but i was getting you know black Partigas Black, yeah, they they did it with a lot of the general brands at the time, but Partigas Black, that that oily black wrapper, it was so strong that and the, I had gotten my hands on some through through I don't know if any of you guys know Felix, Michael, you know Felix in the store here, um, he had given me some original, uh, La Gloria Cubana series armaduros wow. and a couple original El Rico Habanos, Ooh, which that's the, that's yeah. the hitter. That I think Habano. that that might in terms of impact it had on me at the time of smoking might still be the strongest cigar experience i've ever had nowadays there are cigars that are kind of like oh. branded to be super strong right. rev your right. engines but when i was uh when i was in college in orlando tony gomez was the uh rep for florida for the floor and he handed me a, a cigar smoked it like literally had to leave put me on my ass i was so sick and i think it was uh airbender before yeah it released fucking just whipped me dude it, though, that's when it was 18, fun 19 years old i was not i was not ready for that yeah, dude my my first ever premium cigar it wasn't it wasn't a, a an ernesto model it was like the general model my first ever premium cigar was a la gloria cubana series r it was it was still very good but it wasn't obviously what like ernesto was doing in the 90s but you know what if i had had something more mellow if i had had a monte cristo white at the time i might not have found it as interesting so i attribute like a full flavored cigar even though my palate has mellowed out a little bit now but that's what kind of i attribute to my falling in love with the product that and the the tatawahe the havana sixes used mm. to get me like i used to think i was high i was 19 years old smoking tatawahe being like this is better than weed like i would get loopy on them they were they were crazy good and crazy strong for me at the time i feel you know, like my look, experience was was just so different from you guys because obviously i was smoking a ton of alec bradley stuff but then yeah. also i would help out at my local cigar shop and they would just unban stuff and hand it to me constantly just i got paid in, in cigars essentially yeah. and then they would hand me the band after i smoked it to help me form my opinion on what i liked and, I, and what i didn't like and i just feel like that was such a, a weird kind of experience coming into the industry at 18 19 20 years old Oh yeah, absolutely. You great you learn, Yeah, good way to learn. The cool thing is is that, you know, everybody here kind of has their own story about how they got involved in the industry and they're all very different. So even though you have like a lineage, Alec, you still have like a very unique story. It's not necessarily like a Placencia where it's oh, hundreds yeah, of years. Yeah. It's kind of like the American dream version of that traditional oh. cigar family story. So it's it's really fascinating. Everyone here has a really fascinating tale. Um so now starting with Alec, um, so some of you guys have a little bit of a deeper bench because your companies have been around longer. Um, so I'll, I'll rephrase the question for every person. But going back through Alec Bradley and Alec and Bradley, pick a cigar. It could still be in production or maybe it went out of production that you felt was very underrated that you guys released that like this should have been the thing and it just didn't catch for whatever reason. Um, Prime. When it came out, was I remember Prime. awesome cigar, and I think it was just overpackaged and like confusing because it had too many boxes within boxes, and people just like retailers didn't know how to put it on their shelves. Nobody wanted to deal with it. Uh, I think the price was a little high for the time potentially, 
and i think that cigar was just killer and just mm. you know faded out yeah i mean it happens and, and it stinks when it's when it's like the marketing or even sometimes it's just like not the right time or something else overshadows it um but do you still have any of those lying around yeah we got some in the office all right you you know where my address is um nick hey, what about hey, you I, I can't get them call my dad <laughs> And Nick, what about you? And this could be, I mean, obviously, Foundation. Like you guys have just been re- releasing total, uh, total hitters over there. But anything from Foundation that maybe you wish that you think should have caught on, or even from your time at Drew Estate, something you guys released. Um, I would say, um, I would say from the DE days, we came out with a cigar called Chateau. Oh, yeah, I was just yeah, that was the I, one I, I, was that was I remember song. that. I'm, I'm not a, I wasn't a huge fan of the name. Mm-hmm. Um, but I thought the, the blend was super solid and it was actually our highest rated cigar, uh, for the longest time, um, with cigar aficionado, which was super creamy, right? Super creamy, but it had some good, it had a little bit yeah. of to it. Um, but it was, a, it was a solid Connecticut, Connecticut shade in San Andreas Maduro version. And I thought it was a solid cigar. It just didn't, didn't really catch on to me chateau was always synonymous with fuente yeah. so i was always kind of like yeah maybe if another name you know it might the, have- the marketing on that one was weird because uh because you know drew estate obviously was so well known for like acids and you know the cool graffiti kind of thing it took a cigar like liga which was premium but like had still like cool effects to it i feel like for chateau and correct me if i'm wrong they try to just go a very traditional route but then they yeah. realize well, you guys obviously you did you realize with league of nine like no it, we can make a premium one but it has to be powerful and in your face kind of marketing along with it yeah and then it's just it is right how you release it and how you market it and how it gets introduced to the market yeah uh, so it's and by the way legal was not a hit when it was released no it wasn't people forget that man i remember stopping production the first really at one we couldn't give it away when we first got it at madison i mean you gotta uh, you know our image people forget at that time was completely the opposite of what the image of that company is now and uh it was we were we were a joke when it came to you know non-infused cigars so you know, it's a testament, though, to what year know, was that? This was 07. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. 07. End of 06, 07. Yeah. yeah. I remember being at a took off in like 2012 or 13. I remember being because we hadn't JR didn't even carry it yet. But I remember being at a CI in the big one in Hamburg, I think, with uh, I think some of, you know, Dane. Nick, you, you remember Big Dane? Dane sure. Yeah. My buddy works for Davidoff now. Uh, yeah. Michael, you probably know him too. Um, but we went to the CI just to hang out for the day. And that was my first time getting a League of Nine. And like this, this it had such an allure to it, you know, and like this is like 2011, 2012, maybe. And it was just very, you know, I'm like, I can't believe they even had, they had like three or four left. And it's great to see it much more available now. But yeah, the the kind of roller coaster of that cigar's history is is fascinating. I knew it was a winner when I gave it, John, to Gustavo. Oh, there you go. Like, Gustavo was my first guinea pig, and I have some re- old photos from, like, 06 of him smoking them. And I knew and I knew he wouldn't bullshit me. And, you know, he's a broadleaf guy, too, through and yeah. through. 
And when he was just like, Nicholas, this is a phenomenal cigar. I, I was, I, I loved it, but he, he confirmed it for me. Getting that validation is probably from, from somebody you admire so much is probably an amazing thing you need right there. And and you know, when somebody's, even if they're, you know, when they're bullshitting you or not, because you see when they're smoking the cigar, when they smoke it down past the band, right. You know, they're not, you know, BSing you. Yeah. and that's awesome. Really that's that's the dream feeling, John. I have an idea of what I think yours is, because it's been really? it's been a topic of conversation this year a lot with your fans and and uh, yeah. on Instagram. But why don't you go ahead and, and tell us what do you think is the one that that should have caught on, or just the timing was off, or something like that? That would be the one, Las Marias. Yep. yep. Yeah, Las Marias for me checked all the boxes going into it. Um, it was Corojo ninety nine grown in Namahi by. Don Pepin. It was 100% Garcia-grown tobacco, all Nicaraguan. It was like it. The I thought it was phenomenal. I think in retrospect, unfortunately, we tried to launch two at the same time at the show that year, which was Moraes and Le Carême. Yeah, and Le Carême like, kind of took the and Carême took everybody. I, to me, the domestic market smokes with their eyes and they gravitate towards what's darker and heavier, you know. But Moraes for me was to this day just like one of the best blends we did that never got traction or didn't really get the the light that it deserved but now you know there's for some reason on social media there's this resurgence like hey bring back las marias bring back it's really hard to you know resurrect the dead in this industry it's it's an unfortunate reality i'm not kidding one of the fan questions i got is can you ask john if he can bring back las marias yeah um Michael, Where what were about you guys six years ago? <laughs> exactly. Well, you—that's what you said when we had the Q and A in Nashville, and people were like, "Can you bring back Las Marias?" And you're like, yeah. "No, where? Well, come on! Like it was out there for so long." Exactly. Exactly. Michael, what about you? I imagine it's going to be something more from your Nat Sherman time or even your Davidoff time. What was one cigar that you're like, oh, there was something there, but timing was off, or the the world wasn't ready for it? Oh man, nothing but hits. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know um, what these losers are talking about. We just crushed it every day. Yeah. Right. <laughs> no, um, it's a toss-up between uh, the classic Epoca line, mm. which struggled for all kinds of reasons. Number one, we can't say it as gringos and we say Epoca, but the word is Epoca, and it it it's such a great blend. But I think it was just a, a very long story to tell. Mm-hmm. Um, to make it resonate. And then the other was the 1930 blend, which became the Epoca Reserva, which was launched just as we lost the ability to market and advertise and do social media. And so it was, that was unfortunately a victim of circumstances too. But the blends themselves, um, you know, to John's point, I, they, I, they really like checked boxes. The, the classic Epoca, especially, I mean, Nicaragua, Dominican, Ecuador, Connecticut rapper, great body, super complex. It actually reminded me of the Chateau Royale when mm-hmm. we were working on it. Um, so that was just a bummer, but you know. How about, how about I on enjoyed the... that cigar a lot. I remember getting it, Michael. It, the Epoca had, had the white, what, white box with the red smoked, lettering. Isn't that what we smoked in my office? 2014, yeah. When you came and hung out, isn't I, there a I picture so. of you? You have it standing on its ash. Yeah, that's right. right. Yep, that is. Yeah, yeah I enjoyed that cigar a lot. It was a good. So I remember it had like the it had like the kind of uh, uh, red lettering, white box. 
like a Native yeah. American, not Native American, but some kind of like the like a traditional old, old, font. Very on. old school kind yeah. of yeah. packaging was beautiful. It was. So kind of on the flip side of that, Michael, how about in, in your time, a cigar that obviously you believe in every project, but something you thought would just be like a nice kind of portfolio filler, but then took off to where maybe it took you like a year or two to kind of get quantities back up. Like, oh, we had no idea this was going to be such a massive hit. Anything like that? Maybe the Panamericana or something? Um, no, because Pan was a slow roll. Uh, I, I guess, I mean, really timeless... The original Timeless Blend, which is now Timeless Prestige, hmm. um, that was the first project I did for Nat Sherman to try and, you know, move it forward into a more relevant period. And um, the fact that it made it to the top 10 on Cigar Aficionado's list that year was really beyond anything I could have imagined. Yeah, I mean, I'm, yeah, I mean, the, the timeless. Like I said, that was the first year I met you at the uh, at the trade show, and I'm like, this is. And I, I was a I was a Nat Sherman fan. Obviously, at the time, they were a big seller for us. The, the Hamptons and and the, the Metropolitans. I remember you guys also had those old timey. We had some some samples of like they were old boxers, like uh, the the Jack Johnson or something like that, or the. Oh, I thought you meant like old boxer shorts. No, 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 like old I like old heavyweight. It was it was old heavyweight boxers. There was yeah, some kind of series you guys did with that. Um, but this was the first one where I'm like, oh, this is like Nat Sherman now. Um, and yeah. It was incredibly impressive. John, what about you? Something that was kind of a, like a, a surprise hit that you're like, oh, wow, I, I didn't think this was going to catch in that way. Hmm. Calaveras. Just the whole the whole thing. You really. knew uh, that you knew that was come on. No, I mean, I, I you got the sign that, behind you, you know. I, yeah, but this has been <laughs> going on since 2014. Um there was 72,000 cigars. I knew the blend was, was good. Um, yeah. Pete was actually in the factory with me when we were validating it. And he was like, I like this. This is, I'll never forget. He said, it's meaty. It, it's got structure. It's like, but it doesn't taste like anything coming out of this house. And I was like, okay. And then I think it was half wheel when they gave it the 94, it just kind of took on. I didn't realize that it was going to go to the level that it did. Um, I, I thought we had something, but I didn't realize how big it would eventually become. I, I got to tell you a secret, John. You, can't, you had a promise not to be mad at me. This was a long time ago. I was still working in retail. I forgive you. But I remember when we were all smoking that cigar and it was so good. And we were trying, like, we were starting, we were going to push it to people. Mm -hmm. And people were like, oh, like, what, you know, what is it? And they're like, oh, it's from Crown Heads. And there were, they had a lot of them. It was also old JR customers at the time. This is 10 sure. years ago or eight years ago. And so we had to tell him like, it's my father, like my father makes it like, so that we had to use that's that as truth. a selling point. That's yeah. truth, man. That's, that's not even a, that's, I'm honored that they still do it to this day. Knock but on that wood. one, yeah. I, I just actually wrote a really nice article about the Las Calaveras and the journey that that brand has taken. You'll be seeing it by the, uh, the end of the month. I'll, uh, I'll send you a copy of it, but Thank that, yeah, that cigar you. definitely has had a crazy journey. Yeah. Nick, what about, what about you? Anything with foundation or your Drew estate days that you were like, wow, this thing just skyrocketed it kind of out of nowhere. I would say foundation or the charter Oak brand. I, I didn't think that it was charter Oak was originally a short filler cigar. Mm. Um, oh. Actually, when I first took it to the show and I was just trying to recreate something that was like the Connecticut brands of old, which were, you know, really great cigars at great, you know, great prices, but they were more of your everyday kind of cigar. You're cutting the lawn kind of cigar and 
you know, the short filler wasn't working. And then I went back and worked with uh, Abdel and he really helped change the game on that. And, you know, accessing the right Seiko tobaccos, you know, you can get some Seiko lower priming stuff that can be bitter, you know, and just not taste all that great. And then there's others that actually have, you know, really good flavor and, and body. And we were able to, to tweak that and make it long filler. And I, I am always kind of surprised at, at how, how fast that, that brand popped off. Uh, oh yeah, and well, not I mean, a lot of, uh, it was a learning experience for me because not knowing really the retail side, I didn't realize how many retailers really didn't care for it because it was so inexpensive. So listen, they, w- they would kind of hide it. <laughs> we we love it. I mean, we uh, upstairs. That's what I call our video department. We love the that based on the the blends first, the broadleaf, the traditional Connecticut, and that we just started smoking that Habano that you came out with uh, last year, year and a half ago. Excellent, but that's probably our biggest seller from you is because people are getting a Nick Melillo experience. Like, n- nothing taken away from it, even though it's only five or six bucks. It is as good as everything else you produce. And they're getting that at a significantly lower price, you know. So they, the, the fans, love, the customers love it, and I love it, and I love you, Nick. Awesome. So thank you. Hey, thank you, Nick. <laughs> uh, Alec, what about you? Um, for me and Bradley, I'd say the gatekeeper. We launched mm-hmm. blind, we launched blind faith, and people enjoyed it, but it didn't, it, you know, it, it didn't kill it by any mm-hmm. means. Um, so it made us a little bit weary about like, hey, are we doing the right thing, starting our own company? Is this going to work? Is it not going to work? And then we launched the Gatekeeper um, in collaboration with Ernesto, and it, it took off. I mean, blew away the numbers that Blind Faith did. Uh, probably made people recognize what we were doing a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Definitely seemed like we gained some a little bit more respect amongst our peers within the industry. And, um, it was just, it was just a cool experience. It was a cool ride for that year. And then getting number seven in cigar aficionado, um, on top of all of that, just, it's just icing on the cake. Super so cool. what you're saying is that you knew Kintsugi was going to be a hit. You knew that. And yet you still kept it from us no, a whole, it's just, a whole month and a half we could, before. We just, did, we just didn't know what we could do, um, doing it on our own. And, oh, I say on our own, more just like, designing blending all that we still have a ton of support from from my dad in a lot of ways Hmm. um but in terms of blending and packaging we just didn't know if people were going to take to it or not so when we saw blind faith come out and just not do what we were hoping and then gatekeeper just kind of launch itself it was a cool experience like and like definitely very gratifying and very proud of that we that we you know saw what we did no, I can imagine. And and that's one of the cigars that, you know, obviously I had smoked some blind faith, but that really kind of put you, you, you two on not just my radar, but everyone's radar as kind of a separate entity from, you know, the, you know, your, your family's legacy. It's like, this is a forging of your own legacy. Um, it was that impactful. So, you know, congratulations on that. Um, I have like one kind of tobacco question. I didn't want to get too much into the weeds on this, but I found it interesting because, you know, you guys are all very high level with this. And um, some of you, you know, you making my my favorite broadleaf cigars. And now, Alec, you guys came out with a really interesting project this year. It's got a very nice rating from Half Wheel. And I kind of wanted to talk to you a little bit about it and then gauge everyone else's kind of views on 
the kind of broadleaf craze, the shortage, and what's been going on the past few years. So you guys came out with the double broadleaf this year. Yeah. Um, congratulations on that. Like I said, very, uh, very good rating. But you're using Honduran and Nicaraguan grown broadleaf. So give us a yeah. little bit of the story about uh, behind that, and then I kind of want to gauge everyone else's feelings towards uh, like the the broadleaf world we're living in. I mean, it's a, it's not a crazy story. You know, we work with some great um, growers down in Central America, and they were dabbling in growing broadleaf down there. And when I say dabbling, I mean the broadleaf was further than I could even see. Um, <laughs> And we, we smoked it, loved it, uh, tried to get as much as possible for the project. And it just, it took us some time to, to blend. That's, that's for sure. Um, just to, you know, we're not used to playing with broadleaf as much as some of these other companies really do. And so it's not something that we are that familiar with, but yeah, we had a great time doing it. I love the blend. I think it came out fantastic and just you kind of hope other people enjoy it too. I mean, people are definitely enjoying it. I'm, like I said, I'm seeing the reviews and the uh, the, the interaction on, on social media. Now, Nick, being the Connecticut homegrown guy you are, how are you kind of viewing people kind of, you know, growing broadleaf outside of 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 your your lovely home state? Uh, have you tried anything that's kind of like these Nicaraguan broadleaves, Pennsylvania broadleaves? And how do you feel that they're stacking up? I'm fucking offended by all of this. No, he actually texted me and said, I hope it I tastes should. like shit. <laughs> yeah, you scumbags. <laughs> no, not at all. I think it's great. You know, I always tell people when people are asking, about, what's your favorite tobacco? And, mm. you know, is this better than that? I don't see tobaccos as better or worse than other tobaccos in the sense of, you know, different regions. What, what makes tobacco better or worse for me is the quality, you know, your growing practices, the curing, the fermentation, the sorting and selecting. But to me, they're ingredients that add different flavor profiles to a blend. Um, I think it's, it's great, you know, that people are experimenting with different seeds. I think just getting the broadleaf name out there, I think is, is, is great. Um, so I think it's, it, it's, it's cool. Awesome. Um, and I saw the, the project. I was really excited to see it because I think it just helps, you know, I think mm-hmm. it just helps awareness in, in general about, you know, different, different varieties, seed varieties, you know, mm-hmm. locations. So um, it's been tough, you know, in Connecticut with just the weather, this crop this past year, thank God, was was phenomenal in in the valley. So hopefully, within the next couple of years, we'll start seeing you know more Connecticut broadleaf c- come online. So I mean, I, th- I think we'd all love that. I mean, John, uh, I I think that there are some companies that kind of are notorious for utilizing broadleaf. Uh, Nick and Foundation is definitely one of them. Steve Saka is definitely one of them. But then, if you actually you know looking at your portfolio. Some of your your titans have been broadleaf. I think there was a Las Calaveras that was broadleaf. Obviously, the 16, the recent yeah. the recent La Patissia, the La Carême, the um, oh, the one you did with Drew State. It's escaping my mind right La now. La Coalition. La Coalition. Mm-hmm. So, what? How how are you feeling? Is 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 outside Connecticut broadleaf something you would be interested in utilizing in the future? Or now that you have this relationship with Noxa, are you going to go heavy into the Connecticut side of it? I, I kind of am more of a traditionalist. I think that Connecticut broadleaf is the broadleaf. Um, full disclosure, I haven't 
tried any of the Honduran and Nicaraguan growns. I've tried the Pennsylvanians uh, broadleafs uh, back in 13 when we launched JD Howard. That was an Adipiraca wrapper, but we ran a short on, on that. And um, Ernesto actually had me try some with Pennsylvania uh, on it. And I just didn't care for it. Um, I think it, for my palate, it's, it's better as a binder. Um, it, broadleaf as a whole, I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of like, I guess it's, you live by the sword, die by the sword. Cause everybody, as I referenced earlier, like kind of seems to smoke with their eyes and they gravitate towards that darker cigar. Me as more of a traditionalist, I prefer like, you know, a Habano wrapper, you know, mm -hmm. to be honest with you, something more along those lines, um, you know, like Mildias for me, uh, things like that. Even I'm playing with Sumatra a lot now lately, but yeah, I mean, it's nice to have a relationship with Gustavo. Um, and, you know, if we, we develop more broadleaf, so be it. But uh, I'm not intentionally trying to force the broadleaf issue, even though it's successful for us or it has been successful for us. Um, but yeah, I mean, I guess for my palate, I just prefer that traditional Connecticut broadleaf. We're going to get you some of these. Uh, some of, I'm going to send you some of uh, Alex, uh, this this double broadleaf one. It's, it's true. Uh, to be honest, there are a lot of Pennsylvania broadleafs that I wasn't the biggest fan of, but yeah. the, growing in the, the Nicaraguan and Honduran version is it's it's something a definitely different than PA, and it brings it a little. I've I've even heard Kentucky yeah. coming into the game. Kentucky. Oh wow! All right, that'd be interesting. In Kentucky. So, that'd be interesting. Kentucky, Tennessee, Maryland, Wisconsin. Wisconsin. Uh, there's there's a mass market that needs to be kept up with. That is true. Gentlemen. That is true. That's exactly true. You gotta supply the mass market. Michael, That's, what about you? Uh, I'm trying to I'm trying to think off the top of my head, and please excuse me if I'm incorrect. I'm trying to think of anything under your banner that that maybe one of the Metropolitan Maduro. Does that use a broadleaf? Yeah. So <clears throat> I think you know my feeling on uh zooming in. I know, I know, I know, I know. It was one of our most popular clips that we've ever had on our Instagram page. My, so if we're, I share Nick's philosophy that one leaf is one ingredient that ultimately creates a dish. And um, where I struggle is as an industry, we embrace the idea that once we make something and release it, then we maintain it and preserve it in perpetuity. But as John just alluded to, there are also moments when ingredients run out and you have to find suitable replacements. And despite all the press releases that are submitted to the media at large, I have never seen one that said, oh, by the way, we have to switch this broadleaf to this leaf in order to preserve the same experience. And the problem then becomes that people are learning incorrectly mm. because they're reading something that may not be true anymore. Um, and that in addition to the fact that there are other people who are just blatantly lying about what they're using, uh, once again, makes people learn incorrectly. Uh, and so for me, I, I put my stock into the dish. Mm. And if the dish is great, if the song is great, if the blend is great, it's great. And how we make it great, that's the secret sauce. And whether it's Broadleaf or whether it's Creole 98 or whether it's Arab Baraka or whatever, who cares? 
I mean, honest to God, who cares? It's important for us to know. Nick has to know it. John has to know it. The people in the factories have to know it. But, you know, for because to, to me, you're asking the question that kind of lends itself to consumer intelligence. I, I completely agree with you. And and I just um, I just think that co- consumers would be better served as hobbyists and consumers to pay the most attention to just the, the way the cigar behaves and smokes and tastes year to year, box to box. And, and don't worry whether it's broadly for Pennsylvania or Kentucky or Wisconsin. I have, by the way, tasted um, Nicaragua grown broadleaf and um, Dominican grown broadleaf. Ooh. And I am uh, I'm just so happy that those leaves are servicing the blunt reps that hopefully will preserve the Connecticut broadleaf for um, the premium cigar market. The other funniest thing I've ever seen in my life, I happened to be walking through um, uh, a, a curing barn. Well, I guess it was, it was pilones in the curing barn that were headed towards fermentation. And they all had this sign on them that said Bruce Lee. And I'm like, why do all those say Bruce Lee? And much like when I'm in Dominican, people call me Marco because Michael with a Spanish accent, when you play a game of telephones, sounds like Marco instead of Michael. Hmm. Bruce Lee is Broadleaf. But when you say Broadleaf fast enough with a Spanish accent, it sounded like Bruce Lee to somebody at one point. And so all the pilones were labeled Bruce Lee. I saw I saw the same thing at Nick's uh, Perdomo's factory back in way back but Bruce i saw lee? this bruce lee and nick perdomo's fact you know like the late 90s early 2000s yeah that's it. terrific um yeah i mean it it is interesting you know we, we talked about this at length when you were on the, our show a few months ago mike you know that there there are some people like me who, who get very interested in the ingredients in the dish but overall for the enjoyment of the product it's like just focus on the experience let us deal with what we have to deal with if we have to because you're right we you, you've never seen somebody come out and be like oh yeah by the way we have we're changing the wrapper on this to you know something else just to give you guys the same experience no one ever kind of reveals those details but i'm sure it does happen so once again michael is the is the wise man and this industry is so confusing for people that are not in it. oh yeah even just for honestly still i get super confused by things constantly and for people to try to you know, know what it is exactly that they're smoking and attach themselves to it because of what the ingredients are. I just, just makes no sense. Cause how many it's times have you heard someone say, I smoke only Nicaraguan cigars, but the cigar that they're smoking might be produced in Nicaragua, but it has a shit ton of Honduran and, D- and Dominican in it. Yeah. It's yep. constant. It's all the time. I get, I get confused. Like I, I, Nick, how many times do I text you? I'm like, Hey, what's the difference between like Oscuro and like, like Colorado Oscuro? Like I got to, I'm writing this paper on it. And even Nick's like, nah, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, someone, I, I, someone tell me what the definition of a Maduro is. Just one definition, please. And then we'll I know. I, I think in color of classification, it, right. it, it, it does mean ripe, okay. right. In, in Spanish. Is that what it does mean? Right. Yeah. Yes. Right. Um, let's get to some fan questions here, guys, before I let you go. And then before yeah, then before gotta, we yeah, before we I end get a hot stone massage. 
Oh, excuse me. You're living the high life out there in, uh, in, in the Victorian castle, aren't you? It's my, it's my only day for a hot stone massage. <laughs> so, uh, well, Nick, let me ask you your question first. Um, this is from uh, Danny Baby D. Nick, Danny when are you D. when are you going to release the Joe Rogan cigar? <laughs> oh, good Lord. He's got to ask Joe Rogan uh, for uh, about that. I when actually. It, yeah, go ahead. No, no, no. Go, go on. What were you going to say? No, I actually got to meet Joe for the first time. A couple oh, you of did? Ago. Yeah. Awesome. How was it? Uh, so we got to hang out a bit, um, and I talked to one of his guys. You know, I never talked to him about it. Um, I, I'm just happy to see that Joe's been getting into cigars. By, I think the whole intent is to open up cigar smoking to, to new customers. You know, our industry always stays around the same size. So I'm hoping Joe kind of gets into cigars a bit, a bit more. Um, and, you know, I just ended up making him that cigar and, you know, man, this guy does whatever he wants to do. So if, I did see said, that. Uh, I saw that Ari Shafir and Bobby Kelly uh, came up to your, to your uh, headquarters there. Yeah. They came and hung out. I showed them the farm and uh, yeah, I ended up seeing Ari uh, last week too. And he ended up introducing me to Joe um, at a at a comedy show, and uh, we got to hang out for a couple hours. It was that's it was awesome. Um, yeah, I've actually I've seen Bobby Kelly here a few times at the in the Whippany store. Seems like yeah, a nice guy. He loves cigars, man. He's, would, he's a big cigar smoker. Nick, would you rather release the Joe Rogan cigar or get on Joe Rogan's podcast to kind of promote Foundation? I want to go on the Joe Rogan <laughs> podcast, dude. I want to start a GoFundMe to get, I don't know, to some kind of internet petition. You would be the perfect representative I want to go of our on industry. Joe Rogan, I want to send you all that video. There's Please do. It's amazing video of Joe as a little person. And the song <laughs> is uh, called, I want to go on the Joe Rogan podcast. That's awesome. That's awesome. Um, I got one here for Alec. Um, it's kind of a confusion question, but I want to see if you're going to, you know, what, what your thoughts on it are. When smoking a cigar, which third of the cigar do you view as the most important? The first, the second, or the third? You know, like like is is, is the finish it, is the finish like you know really important to stick the landing kind of thing, or is the opening? Uh, probably the first third because if it doesn't hook me immediately, I'm putting it down. Um, honestly, for me, it really is the full experience. I don't really look at smoking cigars in thirds almost hmm. ever. It's am I enjoying the experience or am I not? Um, but if it doesn't grab me within the first, you know, half inch inch, I'm, I'm out. I'm going to pick up something else. So I guess based on the question, I'll go first third. There you go. There you go. Grabbing the, the, uh, the first inch I was on my dating profile when I was single um, for uh, the only inch, bro. That was it. That was it um, for Mr. Herklotz. When can we look forward to uh, Elegantia 2023? In 2023. <laughs> that, was, yeah, right. that was a layup. Thanks for having me. <laughs> that was a layup. It'd be great <laughs> if he was like 2024, bro. <laughs> wow. Good Lord. No. Uh, but uh, in terms of like time frame, spring, you know, early winter. Uh, I mean, they're in aging now. Um, and the 2022s are in their kind of final, final bit of inventory. So probably early second quarter. All right. All right. Um, lo- very much looking forward to that. Uh, John, I'm going to ask you this one because I have to, because a few people ask this. Feel free to just say skip. Is this skip. a Marais question? No, it's not a Marais oh, okay, question. Good, 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 good. Okay. Um, is CH going to be producing with Pachardo anymore? Oh, God. <laughs> <My> God. <laughs> yeah. 
This guy goes all in. So, wow. so you can feel free so, to skip it, but there was like three or four people who asked, so I had to. I, I at least asked. So I'm once. working on the size of Las Marias right now, actually. As, <laughs> as we speak, and, so uh, Las Marias is coming back into the year. <laughs> feel uh, free to just skip it. It's okay. You got another one? Um, John, can you please bring back Las Marias? <laughs> um. Oh, uh, there's a lot, a lot of I, I, listen. It's it's more about people are worried about the Mill Diaz. Okay, I, I, let me just address yeah. the 800 pound group, whatever in the room. 100 pound um, Nick Labretti in the room. Yeah. Um, it's TBD to be determined. Um, there's one key component that if that ingredient, that entity is removed from the equation, then the answer to that question will be yes. If that has any connectivity to that particular entity absolutely fucking no way mm-hmm. that's let me let me do a follow-up to give you a little more of a, of a shout of out a, frank herrera <laughs> shout out the yeah. dream team shout out all you people that are watching me and they're gonna send me a letter or whatever so <laughs> what if, uh, so how about instead of that how about um any future stuff that you guys are looking for with uh naxa obviously the azul the auto just came out yeah. any any you got a, you got a like a next project kind of lined up with them I do actually, I do. Um, there's a couple of blends that are just, I mean, honestly, you know, I'm not just saying this to, for whatever, but um, what I've experienced over the last seven months now and working with Gustavo and Raul has been nothing than spot on, just, just very efficient, um, you know, minor tweaks here and there. And I've been elated with the outcome. So yeah, I, I definitely have more things on the, on the horizon with Noxa. Um, you know, as long as they'll have us. So well, listen, we're, we're all looking forward to it, man. You're, you're, you're the last two you just did with them have been um, amazing. So last question, guys, and this was the most requested question. We had thousands of people asking this. We're going to start with Alec. Uh, what is your favorite thing about Nick Libretti? Can I answer that? That's you, not me. Yeah, like, you're, you're all, you're all going to answer it. You're all going to answer. It. I, I already have an answer. So whoever <laughs> wants to go first, I mean, Alec, let's let's go in order. So let's start with Alec. I, I'm gonna need some time to come back to me. On this All right, one. let's go to Nick then. He's gonna have a very sophisticated Favorite British answer. Thing about Nick Libretti, his name, his first name, <laughs> his first name. It's awesome, beautiful. Thanks, <laughs> That's Nick. A good answer. And, and listen, Nick. Nick is just a stand-up human being. Ever since I met you, Nick, I think the first time we met was at the farm. Mm-hmm. You've been like sending me messages. And I'm like, who the heck is this guy? Who's this fat guy stalking me? <laughs> and we had a great conversation. You got a great sense of humor. You always handle yourself very professionally. And you're passionate about this industry and what you do. And I really appreciate it. Well, that that means a lot to me, Nick, for coming from you. Thank that's you very it. much. That's the God's honest truth. Uh, let's see what, John, we'll get you to you last because I feel like it's going to be vulgar. Uh, my favorite thing about <laughs> you is definitely our, our two-hour phone calls. Yeah, they always they always end up like, hey, how you been? And then two hours later, we're like, can you believe Pete's releasing this? We're so excited for it. We're just talking just oh, yeah. these industry talks. He tells me about John for about 30 minutes. Yeah, that is half our conversation. You know, I talked to John the other day. <laughs> that's about 30 minutes of the, of the phone call. That's, yeah. that's my, my favorite thing about you. Now, well, because well, I, you know, me and you were, like I said, we're similar era. So like we, we, we have, and we have a similar viewpoint of everything that's going on at the time, which, which is a lot of fun. It is. It is a lot of fun. Michael, Michael's going to take me to class right now. I know it. Oh, man, <laughs> I, I love how genuine you are. You genuinely love the business. You genuinely love talking about it. And, and, you know, I mean, look, part of what makes shows like this successful 
is having really good dialogue. And we've all been in conversations and interviews that are brutal because you, you can't go from one question to an answer and then let that lead into something else and have a regular conversation. And, uh, you know, you make two hours go by awfully quick. I wish you would tell my parents that, but thank you very much, Michael. I appreciate it. All right, Mr. Huber, let's uh, let's see what you got to say there. I mean, honestly, my knee jerk reaction is going to be your blow dryer diffuser because it's working <laughs> nicely. But I, I, I think you deserve a little bit more of a sincere response to that question. And I think my favorite thing about you, Nick, is that you're an old soul in a young body. Mm-hmm. Um, you have a reverence for the history of this industry that a lot of younger guys seem to skip over and just kind of want to concentrate on the new, new kind of thing. But whether you're talking about cigars from a different era, or if you and Chris are talking about movies from 1940, something, whatever you could, you, you're knowledgeable about it and you have a reverence for our history, which I really, I really appreciate that about you. Well, listen, a lot of, and I appreciate that, John, thank you. A lot of that I get from all of you guys, because if there's one thing I've learned and taught, you know, Chris will sit next to me and say like, Oh, you know so much, you know, it's hard to compete with you. And I'm like, dude, I don't know anything. And you know how I know? Because the guys I talk to, guys like you, you all tell me that you don't know any. Like, it's such a, like, no one has it figured out. It's a constant learning process. And a lot of you guys have taught me that. So I'm going to learn. And I think that's, you know, you don't have to, like like Mike said before, we don't have to get into the nitty gritty of what, what the blend with this thing and that. But to just learn about the industry, the history, the inspiration, where things have come from, what influenced what, you know, like what what influenced Nick or, or Alec or John or Mike, you know, like what who made you the guys you are today? And then who are you going to make in the next generation? You know, it's important to follow this lineage uh, of history because it gives you a greater appreciation for the product. And I think that's something that all of us uh, all of us share. The cool um, thing about the about the, the four of us besides the fact that we are dashingly handsome. (laughs) You are the most handsome. I did put the most handsome guys up here. (laughs) No, man, we, we all uh, are outsiders Mm -hmm. to the, to the industry, all four of us. I mean, Alec, you got, you got a a foot in the door, but let's to, to Nick's point earlier. I mean, we're, we're outsiders. We all rely on other people to make our products. We don't have factories. We don't have, you know, we, so in, in some ways, you know, any consumer could look at what we do and what we've done and hopefully see a potential path that it's, you don't have to be born in to make this particular passion, your profession. Mm -hmm. There is a way to do it, but the way to do it is time served, hard work, and one step at a time. That's that's the. There's no secret sauce. There's no magic way to do it. You know, it's it's one day at a time, one week at a time, one conversation at a time, one trip at a time. And any consumer today who's thinking to themselves, you know, I want to launch a cigar company, needs to stop and pause and like and and get back onto the first step because the first step is learning and reading and listening. And then traveling and trying and listening and then buying and working in retail and listening. And that has to happen over and over for years and years and years um, to then 
be stupid enough to want to want to go all in and and do this yourself, you know. But there is a path. There, there absolutely is. And, and I think, like, like I said earlier in the um in this episode, I think each of you has had a unique path, um, through it. You know, either coming from retail, other companies. You know, Alec. You know, like your your dad started it not long. You know, like you were already born, and then you started from the ground up in that company, and then you and your brother starting your own thing. So, like, you're right. You guys are all have a really unique perspective into it and also i think what's cool is when you guys all kind of started is you're not tunnel visioned you have experiences from different eras and different companies so you're and you bring the best aspects of that to yourself so big fans of all you guys i ask all four of you to pay attention last week of january when our jr cigars top 25 uh drops i think you're all going to be uh very happy with the results um but i just want to thank you so much you have made this one of the my favorite podcasts i've uh, i've ever done I'm going to let you guys go now. If I don't talk to you, I want each of you to have the happiest of holidays, Christmas, Hanukkah, whatever Nick's going to celebrate, probably Kwanzaa, (laughs) you know, traveling around the world. Um, But thank you all so much for making this awesome and for making my, my time in this industry um, as amazing as it's been. So thank you all very much. Happy birthday. Thank you you very much. And for everyone watching, make sure to shop at JR, make sure to get, your crown heads, your Ferry Otego, your foundation, your Alec Bradley, your Alec and Bradley. Comment, like, and subscribe. And as always, keep them lit. Thanks, Nick. Thanks, Cheers. guys. Thank, Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.